This is the Band School Podcast, where we talk about business adventure and mission with your host, Buddy Rathmel. All right, we're here today with Lori Nell. She is in South Africa, has a fascinating story. Um, I wish I had hit record even as we just began to talk because um, she has just neat stories of what God has done, and I'm looking forward to sharing those with you today. So welcome, Lori. Could you uh, tell our audience just a little bit about you and your journey up to this point in your life? I would love to. I am married to a South African man. I live in Johannesburg. Um, we have two children. Uh, they're in they're 20 and 22. And we, I work with ministry leaders and business leaders and their families. Uh, and uh, how I got there, I think, is going to be included in some of the other questions here. So I won't go too far into that. But that's, that is, my husband's a businessman. And uh, we both have a passion for a business. We believe it's the future uh, for the kingdom in Africa, particularly, because there's such a need for economic development uh, and so we have a heart for business people and for ministry leaders and have seen the loneliness in both of those groups of people. So we come alongside them in different ways. So That's that really cool. is what I'm a part of. Yeah. And why, why do you say you think it's the future? What do you see in that area? So much of, of the ability to engage in kingdom activities is to come into the place of need and Jesus did that all the time. He, he spoke right into the place of need. And in Africa, uh, in general, there's a huge need. I mean, South Africa has one of the highest unemployment rates in the world. Mm -hmm. And Africa in general, uh, just employment and the dignity that comes with work and being able yeah. to live out your faith in a marketplace environment that impacts your employees I believe that's going to be one of the main channels of the gospel or is even one of the main channels of the gospel in Africa. Yeah. So there's a profound need for that. We actually at our, um, the last event we did in Amsterdam before COVID, um, one of our delegates was a business guy from South Africa that was selling blueberries on mopeds like home delivery of organic blueberries and mope and he had his whole business plan and was looking for money so you mentioned business wow. and employment bringing dignity to people how have you seen that specifically maybe in south africa where um, business or employment brings people dignity one of my friends his name is bertie lawrence um, and he owns a company called waste plan and they sort through garbage and they, they recycle it. Uh, and he's able to provide employment for people who would have no employment. They would often be begging at the, the stoplights here, the traffic lights. Uh, he's able to provide employment for them, which is a dignity of having work that they, they're actually proud to be able to do and that they yeah. can provide for their family. But then they offer them opportunity to move up if they or and to get education and to get. So I just have seen that over and over again, that when God created us in the garden to work, it's yeah. one of it's not a curse The the weeds are the curse, but the work isn't the curse. And right. so the fact that we have dignity and are able to work and provide for our families and have a sense of honor in what we do, it's huge. And yeah. you see that and what he does with the least of these and it's a huge, it's a incredible blessing to watch that happen. 
Yeah, that's really cool. I, I think often in our welfare system in the West or ways that we try to catch people at the bottom rungs, I, I think often of the Old Testament laws of leaving the gleanings at the edge of your field and not picking mm. up the grain that is dropped to the ground. But in that, the, the poor or the unemployed still had to go out to the field mm -hmm. and get it. And I don't know what I've thought of that a lot. I don't know how to do that in the West, but I think that principle um, for for those unemployed to help them get up to that next level. But yeah, there's so many great entrepreneurial business ideas that can help people at at those bottom levels to give them employment um, and provide for them. And and dignity is it's such a huge thing, and jobs give that to us. In, it does. Yeah. Yeah. It does. So, um, tell us your journey with Engedi. You you started to you just gave us a brief thing, but what was your journey in in starting Engedi um, to to where you are now? Well, I'll start a little bit further back because it'll give a context to the reality of Engedi. But I was a French and English major in college. Had no idea what I was going to do. My dad asked me to work in one of our family businesses, which was tennis ball throwing machines. And I, at that time, mm. didn't even know the difference between retail and wholesale pricing. So that's how clueless I was in going into that business. But I worked in tennis ball throwing machines for six years, everything from assembling them to controlling inventory to human resources to OSHA regulations. So I learned the business from the bottom up. But I knew after about six years, my most exciting thing was sharing Jesus with our sales guys, honestly. And yeah. um, so after about six years, I knew this just wasn't what the Lord had for me. I didn't know what he did have for me, but I knew it wasn't to be uh, in that form of business. So I went, I, all I knew was people in scripture that needed direction from the Lord fasted. So I just decided I'm going on a 40-day fast. I knew nothing about fasting. I was very unwise in even researching or knowing what to do. So I just decided a 40-day fast is what I was going to do. And about 20 days into that, the Lord, uh, my dad came to me and said, would you be will willing to run our family foundation? Uh, because at the time he was running a very successful business and he had this charitable foundation, but didn't have a lot of time to deal with that. So I at first said no, but he asked me if I'd pray about it. Um, and I said, sure. And about 20 days into praying, I really felt like the Lord said, this is what I would like for you to do. So I went back to him. I said, I'd be glad to do that. And he said, well, great. Here is Go find an office, set up a phone. Here's how much we have to give away a year. And it was a lot. And um, I said, really, that's all I'm going to get. You're not going <laughs> to, I don't know anything about foundations. I don't know about the regulations of things. So literally I laid on the floor of my office and I said, Lord, I know you haven't chosen me because I'm skilled at doing this, but I'm available and I'm your servant. And I'm asking you to bring us people that you want us to invest in that are fruitful for the kingdom. So in miraculous ways, and I could tell you story after story, he brought us people um, yeah. that we ended up investing in the kingdom uh, with. And the thing that was amazing was I realized very quickly the life of the leader determines the life of the organization. Hmm. And a leader can, a leader can um, only lead to where he is. He can't lead yeah. to where he's not. 
And so what I ended up doing as a foundation leader was spending a lot of time in the homes of our leaders. So I would go and be with them for a week or two in their homes. And I usually found after three days, it's hard to keep up appearances after three days. And you really find out what's going on in someone's home if you hang out in the kitchen. And so that was a lot of my, my time was doing dishes, hanging out in the kitchen, but I got a real... I got a real feel for the heartbeat of our leaders and their marriages and their families. And a healthy leader leads a healthy organization, but an unhealthy leader, you'll find the unhealth throughout the organization as well. So in the process of that, the Lord really developed in me a heart for leaders, for ministry leaders. But also I was intersecting with a lot of other foundations and a lot of other business people that were giving, involved in giving. And I saw the loneliness that's actually very significant in both ministry leaders and business leaders. And part of that is almost everybody wants something. It's never a clean or hardly ever a clean interaction. So the ministry leader, everybody wants spiritual resources from them or time or counsel or and a business leader. People often want jobs or influence or money or something from them. So they're becomes this isolation where they're isolated from true friends that are willing to say, Hey, that was pretty prideful. Are you sure that's who you want to be and what you want to do? Or, Hey, you know, maybe that was kind of a jerky thing to do. Maybe you need to reconsider. There's an isolation that comes from that kind of true feedback. And so what I found over and over again was that the Lord was blessing just the, the relationships and coming alongside ministry leaders and business leaders. So I was in that for 15 years. And oh, then wow. my dad sold, he sold his business. And so in the process of that, everything went into a startup mode. Even, even though the foundation had been running for 15 years, uh, it went into startup mode with everything else. So there were, I think we underwent six reorganizations in two years. And it was just upheaval everywhere. Yeah. So I, at that point, I just um, felt like I was really given the release to, to leave and to not be so much a part of the upheaval and allow them to go whatever different direction that they wanted to go. So, but I didn't know what I was going to do. So I, I gave notice at the foundation and I went through a time I in, invited about 20 people, I think it was, for a two-day process. It was a scientific process uh, with a marketing company that our followers of Jesus, as well as a prayer process. And we thought we were truly going to start a new organization with a new team. But at the end of the day, the Lord made it so clear. Everybody was in unity with some elders from my church, friends, and some coworkers that the Lord wanted me to start in Getty and it was going to be by myself. And I just cried because I, <laughs> I loved the team that I worked with. I didn't want to start something again by myself. I had already done that laying on the, the, you know, floor of the the yeah. office. And by the time I left Masterworks Foundation, there was a great team of people that I dearly loved that were family to me. And to the whole idea of being on my own and doing that again myself was just an overwhelming thing, but it was clear. So it was an, by an act of faith, I started in Getty and uh, knowing that I was still going to be working with ministry leaders and business leaders and their families, but not sure what medium that was going to take, like what the, before I had the foundation as a platform, 
once I got yeah. to Engedi, it was like, Lord, what is the platform for engagement here? Uh, and a lot of it was just relationships that were already built. So the Lord, it was kind of a seamless transition uh, in the sense of people had said to me already, even if you quit, quit giving us money, will you continue to visit? Because they had seen the value of the friendship, the true friendship. So some of that continued on. But then the Lord gave some ideas that have ebbed and flowed depending on the season. But one of the ideas was to lead trips where ministry leaders and business leaders were on the same trip. And we would go to, it was a five-star trip that we would go to a location outside of both of their home countries. And it creates disequilibrium for everyone. And therefore there's some, you find common ground there. And then we would have a retreat in the middle of the trip and deal with a spiritual issue that affected uh, both of those groups of people. So the first trip was uh, to, to Israel. And for obvious reasons, that's an incredible blessing, um, no matter who you are. But we went to Israel and we had a group of ministry leaders and business leaders. And then we did uh, a retreat in the middle on the fatherhood of God. And how that, because fatherhood often comes up in leaders' lives as a major yeah. issue. So, and the the result of that trip was incredible fruit and relationship between the business leaders and the ministry leaders. And there was kingdom exchange that happened there, whether it was financial or advice or whatever. And there are lifetime relationships that were formed on that first trip between those two groups of people. So then I did three more of those trips or four more of those trips. And then the trip started getting no interest. And so I, I thought, well, Lord, you must be doing something different. So what's the new season? And he started opening the door for journeys of generosity in South Africa, which I had a heart for because my husband was South African. He wasn't my husband at the time. He was a man that I loved who didn't want anything to do with me, but he was a businessman in South Africa and so I had a heart for journeys of generosity in South Africa. So the um, generosity path asked if I would be willing to come over and help start journeys of generosity in South Africa just for a couple months. So in 2016, um, I came over and thought I was going to be in South Africa for a couple months. And as soon as I got here, I knew it was going to be longer than a couple of months. So I was here then for, well, I've been here since 2016, um, but I was here for two years before my husband decided he was going to be interested in me. And so in 2018, we started dating and got married. Um, and then my the whole ministry has changed because now I'm actually partnering with my husband in getting a chance to speak into people's lives, business people's lives, ministry leaders' lives, but we're doing it together, him as a businessman and me and with my heart for those two groups of people. So it's the paradigm of how it has worked has changed, but yeah. I'm still engaging with ministry leaders and business leaders. So that's yeah. kind of the, yeah. Yeah, that's really, that's really fascinating. So what are, what are some of the ways, um, whether it's the Lord speaking to you through song or, um, somebody speaking truth over you or destiny markers in your life. What have been some of those things that have um, kind of pointed you in this direction as you've gone through life? Um, well, I can, I'll start with the, the South Af 
Well, I'll start at the beginning of Engedi with the story of just uh, going from being someone who had been paid by a foundation to someone who was actually going to be supported to do what I did. So it, there was a big transition in being a paid employee to then raising my own support. That was a, and it wasn't, I had given a lot of counsel on that, but then to do it yourself is something yeah. totally different. And I was single at the time. And I, I was saying to the Lord, are you going to provide for me? Like, this is a vision that you've given um, unity on that we're now executing, but are you going to provide for me? And I was a little bit stressed out about that at the beginning. And so I had decided I was going to do things to save money, including um, books that I was going to go through this thing called paperbookswap.com, where you trade used books and get used books because it saves money. So I needed some tape to send out some used books. And I went to the dollar store to get some tape and they didn't have tape. And it was like one of those straws that broke the camel's back. I'm like, of course the dollar store doesn't have tape because it's expensive. Everything's expensive. The whole world's expensive. I don't know if the Lord's going to provide for me. And it was this whole thing. And so I had been asked to go up on a kind of a retreat thing with a girl and pray with her about some things up at a lake cottage. So I went up there and I was talking to the Lord about this whole provision thing. Like, I'm single. You've called me to this. Are you going to provide for me? I don't know what you're doing. So um, when I got up to the lake cottage, I sent the girl on a walk around the lake and I went on a walk the other way around the lake and it was in March. So the snow had just melted and I'm talking to Jesus about provision and is he going to make a way for this to happen? He gave the vision for it, just reminding him of who he was and what he'd done. And I was almost back to the lake cottage. And I looked down next to the road and there was a brand new roll of packing tape on the side of the, the road. And I said, I started laughing. I pick it up and I heard him say, really, Lori? I mean, after all we've been through, you don't know who I am. If you need packing tape, I can bring you packing tape. Here's some. And I pick it up and in the middle of it, it said, sure tape, hold strong or something like that. <laughs> and so it was just one of those, it sounds like a small thing, but it was one of those markers of knowing Jesus knows he's with me. He's intimately acquainted with what I need. And this is not going to be a problem. And honestly, I've never struggled for provision since, and I've never worried about it. It's just like, I'm going to do what he's asked me to do. I'm going to trust he's going to provide for it. And he completely has. Um, so that really was cool. one of the major markers at the beginning. But then as I was considering South Africa, which is a big move, I mean, I had traveled mm -hmm. overseas a lot, but I had been based near my family in Fort Wayne, Indiana for all of my life. So I'd never moved from there, though I had traveled a lot. And I was considering going to South Africa or thinking, is the Lord asking me to do that? And one of the, I was getting ready to go to South Africa for a, an event that I had been asked to participate in. And as the girl that was taking me to the airport dropped me off, she just said, Lori, I think that there's some uh, work that the Lord has for you in South Africa. I just keep seeing light emanating from South Africa into the rest of Africa. Uh, and I think God has work for you to do. And I said, oh, okay, well, I will definitely be praying about that and considering that while I go. So I got into the airport and one of the elders from my church called me and said, um, we were praying for you. I asked him to pray for my trip. And he said, we were praying for you. And he said, we're doing a study on light in Revelation and Genesis. 
And he said, there is no, their sun and moon were created in Genesis and they were created for authority to rule the day and the night. But then you come to Revelation and there is no sun and moon because Jesus is the authority that rules everything. And so there's no need for that light uh, in the same way. And so all of a sudden I was like, light has something to do with the authority of Jesus. My friend that dropped me off just said she saw light emanating from South Africa into the, the rest of Africa. The Lord's saying something to me here. So then I got on the airplane on a Delta flight and the guy next to me asked me where I was going and I asked him where he was going and he said, hey, South Africa, I think it's highlighted on the front of the Delta magazine this month. And so I looked and sure, sure enough, I, I had been flying Delta for 17 years and never had South Africa been highlighted on the front of the magazine. So I opened it up and Johannesburg, there were five cities highlighted, but Johannesburg was one of them. And it talked about a particular precinct in Johannesburg called the Mobbing Precinct, which means place of light. And all of a sudden I was like, okay, <laughs> here's another light. And so, and it just talked about, it actually quoted scripture on light. And oh, wow. so then I got, I landed in Johannesburg and went to this event that I was supposed to participate in. And the CEO of the event got up and he said, our prayer, our intercessors have been praying over this event and they just keep seeing lightning bolts going from South Africa into the rest of Africa. And it was like the Lord just kept saying, I'm doing something. It has to do with my authority. It has to do with light penetrating in Africa and it's coming from South Africa and somehow you're a part of this. And it was like ongoing confirmation of I've got work for you to do in South Africa. And he, he just kept doing things like that. Just confirming that this was the step of faith he wanted me to take. Yeah, that's really neat. I, um, I love the verse in Daniel twelve three where it says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And it's kind of a picture for me of just a little that like, you know, little W wise, little R righteousness of like the reflection of, of Christ. Um, yeah, I never had, had never had put that connection together about the authority of, over the day and the night and that. We have no need in revelation because Christ is the authority. He is the light. That's, that's really neat. Um, I love that verse from Daniel as well. Just incidentally, that's an incredible verse. Yeah. So um, what are ways that you have seen uh, business leaders that what would be a typical um, kind of lack from their life that you see? And then, um, Maybe what are some of the ways that you've seen uh, business leaders kind of come alive um, because of your retreats or interactions or counsel um, or those things over the course of your life? Um, I think, I mean, it's all different ways, honestly, buddy. It just, yeah. because of how the Lord uh, works. But I would say one of the challenges with being a ministry leader or a business leader is authentic community. Uh, where you can be challenged, where you can be um, real, where yeah. you can have needs and not have to feel like you have to protect from sharing those or mm -hmm. that you need to be strong. 
So I think that's probably one of the, the things I've seen the most is to be able to come alongside and ask hard questions and yeah. sit with them in the authentic answers of those hard questions and then to bring Jesus and to bring Jesus's resources to meet yeah. to meet some of the, the needs that are exposed there. So how, um, so I, I'm really fascinated by the fact that you're with him for days. You're, you've been in their house in the past. How do you, how, how does that happen? This longer engagement in, in people's lives? Um, how do you set that up or how did you do that in the past? Well, how I did it in the past was what the Lord says when you're single, it is much easier to do things um, for the kingdom than when you get married. It just is. I had the flexibility to be in a home and just fold into any um, family system for days at a time. So I, and when you come among as one who serves, it's what Jesus calls us to do. And it's what he did is he come, he comes among as one who serves. And when you serve, you get influence just because you're coming along as a person who serves. So honestly, my engagement in people's families and lives, I would come in, I would do school runs, I would do dishes, I would sit in boardrooms, sit in board meetings, I would sit in um, team executive meetings. Uh, it, It was just a lot of whatever they were doing, I would do it too. And in the process of that, you really get to see what does life look like? What are the challenges that are around them? What are the things that they're seeing and not seeing? So that was how I got to engage with them was uh, just being in their space, being in their home, doing what they were doing. Um, And there was formal and informal engagements. Now that we're married, uh, it's a different type of engagement. So we have dinners with people, but we just we just got done with a weekend away with a group of people, and there are definitive needs in that group of people. Marital on one case, in another case, there's um, there's some stuff going on business business wise, some unrighteous business things. So it's a different type of engagement now, but it's still we got some extended time with them over a weekend because we were away together. Um, so we just trust the Lord. He's going to bring us the time that we need to engage in the way that he wants us to engage with the people that he has for us. And you talked about the importance of relationships, friendships, community. Um, so it seems like you're good at cultivating that. I saw, um, we have friends in common. I saw Josh and Christy Patty were on your, um, blog there and, um, I think I met Josh when I was six or seven years old at his house when he was a teenager. And so he's always oh, been wow. Like, yeah. His dad mentored my dad in Germany back in the eighties. So, Oh um, my goodness. They are dear, dear, dear friends. Their Josiah uh, Venture is one of the organizations we were deeply involved, are deeply involved with. So yeah. that's, that's really wonderful. Neat. Yeah. I actually, um, my first memory of Josh was we were there was mashed potatoes and peas and gravy at, at one of the meals I remember, and he built this volcano with his mashed potatoes and gravy, and then it <laughs> it, it overflowed and killed all the villagers, which was impressionable <laughs> on my young uh, this cool older guy who you know flew he was like throwing gliders around the park and stuff when we were little. And then he went on to fly himself, but yes, yeah. yes, yeah, they're wonderful people. So how, 
where is the community where you're able to be real and you're able to have that kind of feedback now outside of, of your marriage? We have dear friends. I mean, I have, I had cultivated 30 years worth of deep friendships in the U S and we're back yeah. and forth quite a bit. My husband serves on the board of my dad's um, organization and so uh, we both have community there. We have community with our family, but we have dear friends here and dear family here as well. So okay. I, we are blessed, honestly, to have the type of community. I have a mentor that I'm engaged with who I can really speak to about anything and everything and, um, and dear intimate friends. So I would say we're able to share life. That's one of the core of our values is community. And I think being married, Daniel's experienced more community probably than what he has ever experienced just because of the richness of what God gave me in my single years. Right. So that's been a really positive thing. Yeah, that's neat. Well, selfishly, I wanted to ask you a question um, I was explaining to another friend we have in, in common, Jana Fultz, about what I'm looking to do with um, 4BAM that's about business, adventure, and mission. And one of, um, one of my values is like, you know, giving, coming into a situation where you're, you're looking to serve. Um, and what, one of the things like, and my model is I'm looking for investors to help me buy businesses that are run by management in place. And the management in turn runs discipleship schools, um, or I mean the business, I'm sorry, funds discipleship schools. And then the schools provide a legacy if they want for the investor, uh, maybe the investors mentoring or helping to teach. Um, a number of years ago, we had a guy um, at one of my, my first BAM school, I had a guy come and he, um, he had sold his business for hundreds of millions of dollars, but, and, and was, you know, was walking with the Lord had, you know, had seasons where the business was the focus, but definitely kingdom focused. Um, but he, when the kids started asking questions, the students, I mean, they were, some of them were 30 or 40 years old, but when they were asking questions, like all of a sudden, like he just had time to give and the kids loved it. Mm -hmm. Like there was just all these, you know, pages of notes and it, it went into two and a half hours. It was supposed to be a shorter thing. And I just had it. And we had a number of those people over that time, but I had in my mind that, okay, I I really want to connect these type of people that have a wealth of experience and knowledge. But now like it's, I also need, funds for doing this. And so now it's not as, it feels not as clean to me. Cause I'm like, mm. I do want to provide them with legacy. Do want to provide the connection between, but I also from some of them would love an investment into a business. And I like it when I'm able to enter into that as a way of serving. I hate anything where I have to come in or where the first foot is an ask in some way. Mm. And so when I was explaining this business model to Jana, she's like, you need to ask Lori. She would have insight for you in, in that. So wise one, any insight for me in, mm. uh, in this model that I'm looking to create? <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Do you believe that you're called to do that? Yeah. I like, as you were sharing your story, I I've had over the last 18 years, 
Um, so first on a prayer retreat 18 years ago, felt like God was saying, invest in Christ-centered entrepreneurs. And then it's just kind of, it's kind of grown and narrowed since then um, to things about movement of God through business and, um, and just the, the connection between generations. And, um, so I, I really feel like this though, and those are all pieces where I have, um, like the, not the business piece. I haven't had huge business success. I've had smaller things, but I've been, had success as a consultant, but as far as relationships with students and mentors or business leaders, both of those have been things that have been, um, you know, a big part of my life up to this point. Um, and then have had th things in the business world, um, have had failures in the business world. Um, but I really feel like, yeah, that this is kind of what I'm put on the planet to do. And do you believe it's, it has eternal value? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, without a doubt. I, since seventh grade, I've been thinking about eternity. Like I remember in seventh grade saying to another friend of mine, I wasn't even, um, yeah, like I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even say that I was like, I had read my Bible because my dad paid me to in like sixth grade. But um I remember in seventh grade thinking, I want to live for the things that are going to count for eternity, mm -hmm. you know? And so that's been a, um, that's been like why I make decisions. You know, I make decisions on, is this going to be something that matters for all of eternity? Um, just today, in fact, I had somebody say, ask yourself these questions. And I have a, I have a note over there, but in, in the middle of my, in the middle of the questions I was supposed to answer, I put, but because it, it was like, think about your day, think about your week, you know, and I was like, but each day, like I put eternity in there, like, you know, just mm -hmm. today. So it's like, it's every day part of my thinking. Well, and that's what I would say to you. If you know, if you know, you're called to it and you are assured from the Lord that you are, if you know that it's eternal, then what you're offering people is an unbelievable investment. Yeah. So you're not ashamed of that because this yeah. is an ask, not from you. It's an ask from Jesus. And they have full freedom to say no, because his kingdom is big yeah. and he is going to accomplish what he desires. His plans will prevail. So however he chooses to provide for you, you've got a platform to engage people with eternal opportunities that come from him. And so that's joy. Yeah. But as long as you're not hanging on yeah. to, um, I have to have this from you. No, your provision comes from Jesus. And so you can be freely yeah. say, you can freely give up any ask if you need to, um, because you're yeah. about the kingdom. And so your, your kingdom exchange with somebody may be that they need faith today. They don't need an yeah. ask actually. So you can leave the ask, um, yeah. and you can just go with the kingdom of what the Lord has for your engagement with that person for that thing. But You've been called to this thing for the kingdom as well. So you can freely ask because it's not yeah. about you and it's not you trying to get something for yourself. You're actually giving opportunity for someone to have eternal riches. Um, yeah. And what an exciting thing to be able to offer. 
Um, yeah. So the thing I, I think that hinders us sometimes is, is it about my kingdom? Because then I'm ashamed to ask and right. people are rejecting me if they don't give to that. But if it's yeah. about his kingdom, then if, if I offer that opportunity and nobody invests in it, I go back to him and I say, Lord, this is about your kingdom. So either this is a test of faith for me that you're not providing what uh, what you seem to have laid on my heart, or it's a redirection for me that you actually have something a little bit different iteration than what I understood from the very beginning. So I'm going to just seek you again about this process and find out what you're trying to tell me through the lack of of provision at the moment. But that's the thing that I think is every time we engage with people, even from a foundation side of things, people would come expecting money. That's what they wanted from us. But I came going, Lord, we have money to give, but that's the least of our, that's the least of our um, things that you've given us to give. We have kingdom exchange that's going to take place here. So they may be asking for money, but what they really need is repentance. So then I'm going to give repentance from you instead of money. Or even when I went to ask for money, um, I'm not really asking for money. I'm asking for um, a true kingdom investment. I'm giving people an opportunity to invest in eternity, something that is temporal that gets to be placed in eternity. But if they don't want to do that, if they're not called to do that, if they have a heart for something else, I can redirect them to somebody who would meet that kingdom thing that they want to give to because I'm about the kingdom. I'm not about my thing. So I can be generous about, oh, you're not interested in business leaders and ministry leaders. You're interested in orphans. Well, I know this one place that they're really fruitful in what they're doing. Why don't you consider connecting with them? I'd be glad to connect you. And it's just a different mindset of our generous father who is not in any way, he's not lacking resources. Um, And he's... So I can be generous and I can be bold because I'm not ashamed of what he's given me to do, what he's called me to do. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't that's know if really, that helps or not. No, it really did. <laughs> I, um, I think, you know, I, I was thinking I, I coached missionaries for years and even um, coached people on raising support. But I was I was thinking more in. Yeah, I was thinking more businessy than um, of thinking. Well, there there has to be like a direct benefit for them, um, but I was also thinking much more about yeah, just transactional. I think than kingdom in my thinking because it's a new it's a new thing for me to say. Yeah, we're looking for two or three million dollars versus twenty thousand or fifty thousand. You know, it's just and. And it's business instead of um, like we were, our mission is the anti-trafficking. So that was our projects for a lot of years. And mm. so there's just a, you know, it's a shift and I'm, I still feel like, I'm, um, you know, I'm teaching my youngest daughter to drive right now. And I, I, I feel like just in this last few months, as things have come together, I'm, I'm still like. Okay, how does this all work together? There's multiple moving pieces, you know, and so yeah, that was very helpful. Thank you. 
Well, and let me just say too, it is different in business because you've got to be excellent at what you do. You should be excellent. If you're providing a business opportunity and it's a Jesus one, it should be good. And so your, your presentation should be good. Your returns should be good. Um, your business model. And I don't know any of the business guys that I work with that would want to be less than excellent about any business opportunity that they evaluate. Because if you're in business and you're excellent, you're going to make money because that's what businesses have to do to be in business. Otherwise, do something else because businesses have to make money to survive. Um, so, So it is different in that sense from getting a donation uh, yeah. Because you do have to be excellent in what you do. And that the assumption I was making is you are excellent in what you do. It is an excellent business um, opportunity. And if it's not, meet with some people that can help you refine it until it is. Yeah. You know, some people that really know what they're doing to help you get a good business model that it is going to be excellent. Um, but it does have to be excellent and it does have to have good returns and in all of those things yeah, on all different levels. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, yeah, that's definitely the direction that we want to go. Um, uh, yeah. Like all of those things, the, the business being excellent, the discipleship school being excellent are, um, you know, we're, we're, I think we have at least, um, market rate returns a little bit better than some, um, maybe worse than others, but it's really low risk. So it's a, I think for the amount of risk, it's a great return on investment financially as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, a c- couple times as you were talking over the, over the last 40 minutes or so, I kept thinking, what are, what are your spiritual giftings? Is profit part of your spiritual gifting? It is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. How, um, how did you kind do you have, so we're, we're going past what I initially asked you for. Do you have time for a few more questions or do you need sure. to wrap up in about five? Absolutely. Okay. Um, I'll go back and edit that part out. So how have you, um, how have you, how did you come to realize that profit was part of your gifting and how did you like come to terms with that or were you always okay with it from the start or did it kind of you grow and mature in that? What's been your journey as a prophet um, in, yeah, in walking with the Lord? Definitely there's been a, I mean, I think I grew up in a family where prophet was, was uh, presented in a certain way and, and sometimes it was prophet was to be full of truth. It, but not necessarily full of grace because um, yeah. that was part of the considered a prophetic gift, gifting was to be full of truth. But when Jesus came, he full, came full of truth and full of grace. So I think the the greatest, my natural propensity, just the way God's created me, would be to be full more full of truth than full of yeah. grace. Yeah. And I think the big growing in my my maturity has been listening to Jesus, not the flesh, not mm. not giving words that come from the flesh that are just truth-based, but they're not spirit-based. And then also in the process, um, delivering messages with grace, 
as well yeah. as truth and being full of both of those things. And I've had a lot of, uh, I, I don't know that I would have identified profit as a gifting early on, but as I started intersecting with places like Josiah Venture and other ministries that we were invested in, the, the mature leaders of those organizations that I got to engage with, I was really discipled by mm -hmm. the people that we gave to, which is just such the beauty of what it is to be in kingdom relationships like that. Like we're giving money from the foundation, but so many of our partners were discipling me and spoke into our family's life and our family's pains in ways that nobody else could have spoken into because it was a kingdom exchange. It wasn't just a, a gift um, yeah. that we were giving as a foundation. So I, I matured through the people that I got to engage with overseas and through just the Lord and how he pursues us and how he uh, is committed to making us look like his image and taking us through the experiences that we need to, in yeah. order to be made into his image. Um, so definitely, and I'm sure he's going to mature me a whole lot more. I just turned 50 two weeks <laughs> ago. It's hard to believe, but it's true. Uh, and I'm sure we'll get a good bunch more of maturing before he takes me home to be with him. Yeah. I remember one of the first times I was, I was reading a book, I, it was called Love and Respect. I'd finished it and I felt like God said, give it to this person at, that I, we were connected to in ministry. And so I um, took the book with me and went to a building to pick up an intern and they were there leading a Bible study. And um, I just kind of felt like I was like, don't worry about it now, like it had gone long. And so we went in another room. I don't remember what we were waiting for, me and the intern. And, um, we were watching a video and then I just kind of turned around and I saw that person poke their head into the room. So I went and handed them the book and I just said, Hey, I really feel like, you know, this could be something that would be beneficial in your marriage. And they, and they were like, Oh, that's so great. They received it so well. And, um, and they were like, yeah, that's, I, I know that's an area of weakness. I know that's something I need to work on. And I thought, wow, there's such an, a, in a good receiving mood, I'll share with them a few other things that they could work on. <laughs> and like the steel gates came down and the, the guards went yep. up and I, and I, it was a good lesson to go speak only what I tell you to speak, not all the things that, that so you think true. you could just throw out. So that was, <laughs> that was like my first lesson years ago of, um, not using that gift well, um, in, at times, but. Yeah. So a prophetic gifting is your gifting as well. Yeah. And, um, yes. Yeah. And it's been, I think that's part of the reason of, I haven't ever thought about it actually till we're just talking now, but maybe one of the reasons that I've been connected to leaders, you know, and accelerated leadership through a lot of my life was maybe that piece of it, of being able to speak. Um, but yeah, like there was a, um, I'll edit this out too probably, but we, um, my wife's role at a school here. Um, and then my gifting as a prophet, like we actually were part of removing unhealthy leadership and, um, and it was all God. It was like months. It was like maybe eight months of prayer, lots of prayer. Mm. And, um, and then God invited me into a situation to, I said to my wife, I think God, it's God released me to speak to the person. She called me like an hour later and said, Hey, do you have three hours this afternoon? You just got invited to a meeting with this person. 
And um, in the meeting, I started to speak just humbly. Like I felt like I, I, it was like I had learned all 10 or 12 years of doing it poorly or maybe a lifetime. And it was, yeah, it was, it, he, it wasn't received well. In fact, I started to speak and it, I got shut down. I went to the restroom and I felt like God said, I've invited you here as a prophet, go back in and speak as a prophet. And uh, it was the beginning of, um, we got slandered through the process and like, but the truth started to come out and, um, ended up getting a leave of absence and then, um, was asked to resign. But it was just one of those things of like, Oh, it was, it wasn't fun, but it was fun to be walking in step with the spirit and mm. fun to be going, okay, this, this is what it looks like a way, way less, way more humility and less confidence than I used to just say things in my own spirit. And even like, I was sad and crying. Like I was, you know, I knew it wasn't fun for this person to hear, but, mm. um, yeah, I think it's what led me somewhat into the anti-trafficking world a little bit as well. But mm. Yeah. There's a piece of me wow. though, at this stage of life where I'm like, I, um, I don't like, I don't want to be in those kind of situations. Like we, um, we ended up again for Chromebooks and getting filtering. Like there was a similar situation and I'm like, I don't like these big, huge things. And my wife likes them even less. Mm. Um, but I do like the one-on-one -on -one with people and, you know, just getting yeah. those opportunities to speak. And so, yeah, it's not yeah. always easy. I mean, but if you look at the reality of a life of a prophet and in, in biblically, it wasn't easy. Yeah, It's just, it's not an easy, um, but it is, it is rich. Yeah. When you know that you're fulfilling the word that God has given you to carry and to do. It is a rich thing, but it's not always an easy yeah. thing. All right. So my last question for you, Lori, what are some of the dreams that you're pursuing currently? You know, it is the funniest thing. I was looking at that question like, maybe I should come up with some dreams I'm pursuing <laughs> <laughs> because the truth is I would never say that I pursued a dream. I would say I followed Jesus one step at a time and he's led me to places that I would not have dreamed possible or dreamed. I couldn't have dreamed it up. I mean, my desire yeah. was to get married and have kids in a white picket fence at 20 in the United States of America. That was my dream and have six to 12 kids as a matter of fact. But yeah. the the reality of following him one step at a time has been a fulfillment of of dreams that I didn't even have or didn't know that I had, but, but he knows what I'm made up of more than I know what I'm made up of. And so he gives dreams. So, so as I think about that question, there, there's a reality. I think my husband and I are experiencing right now. He gave a vision to somebody from Josiah venture in the Czech Republic who was praying with me over my situation with Daniel and they had a picture of God seated on his throne and of Daniel and me being led in wedding clothes before the throne. And then off to off to the side, there was a pathway, a kingdom pathway that he was leading us to do something in a new way. 
And I think we are experiencing some of those things as we continue to walk in obedience to him. He's, he's mm-hmm. done some disciplining of both of us. And we are, we're walking in a new kingdom path where we're getting to have input into people's lives as a couple that um, neither of us would have experienced before. And we're seeing fruit from those things. And what, what's the end of that? Or what's the, my husband has great business dreams that I believe are from the Lord that he's, he's going to be, um, what's the word, progressively walking in. And I'm going to be walking in with him. But my dream is to really walk in the way of Jesus and to mm. follow him. And to, at the end, have him say, well done, you followed yeah. me. You didn't like veer to the right or to the left. Um, yeah. So I don't have any big like, hey, I really love to do this. So, yeah. I mean, sure, dreams, like personal things. My husband and I want to go hike the Inca Trail. That's something different. But kingdom dreams wise, I want to walk intimately and closely with Jesus behind him in submission, behind my husband who submitted to him as well, and just accomplish what he has set out for us, which that's my dream. So it doesn't sound super big or profound, but that truly is my dream. Yeah, no, that is that is great. Um, I, I wouldn't, uh, expect or want anything other than you to answer that question authentically for yourself. Um, so what's the best way that if someone wants to find out more about, um, what you're doing or follow you, what's the best way for someone to find you? Uh, the Engedi website, uh, which is www.engedigroup.org. Um, my, the blog is on there and, and trips, future trips that we may do will be on there and, uh, that sort of thing. Um, but also the thing that I do the most is engage with people individually. So yeah. just emailing me at ldoden at ingetigroup.org is the best way to engage. And then often I'll set up a zoom or a phone call or something with anybody that wants to engage. Okay. So, well, thank you so much. <laughs>